I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, the podcast in which two fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Leeds United, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Elland Road. I'm John McKenzie, freelance writer and author, and I'm joined by Jamie Kemp, football editor at Opta Sports. Jamie, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, John. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. It's been a while. We were just saying before we came on air, but we did miss out a month. And I guess the more cynical listeners amongst us will note that we we did miss a terrible month for us in October. And we've gone straight into this month having quite a nice winning streak. So there you go. Make of that what you will. The best thing to do probably is just just run run our minds quickly over the games in September. Uh, I've got September written down here. That's how, how long ago we last spoke. The games for, for November. It's been obviously a nice month for us. Wins in every game. Some of those perhaps uh, for fortuitous. Well, I guess the, the Luton one and the Reading one come to mind in that regard. But um, just to run it over, QPR, we played at home at the beginning of the month. We won 2-0 quite comfortably, really. And that was one of the first outings of the 3-3-1-3 formation this season, which I think we're going to go on to talk to you later. Actually, we played... Most of the, of the, of the month in the 3313, which is quite interesting. After that, the, the home game against Blackburn, which was the only game we actually played in our 4141 formation, really. Uh, that was a 2-1 win. We went 2-0 up within 35 minutes and then gave away a goal just before the break. And then that, that was how the game stayed, but it didn't really feel uh, as though we were under pressure for that game. But I suppose we only won by a single goal margin and we didn't score again after the 35th minute. So there, there's something to talk about there. Then we had Luton, which was a late own goal, gave us the win. It was again 3-3-1-3. Reading, again, a late goal gives us the win. Uh, that was a Harrison goal right at the end uh, from a from a counter-attack, which was one of the few counter-attacks we've actually scored this season. And then obviously at the weekend we had our first demolition job of the season, a 4-0 win at Borough. Uh, Patrick Bamford scoring in the third minute and then it being pretty much plain sailing from there so your initial thoughts about November how are you feeling about it yeah obviously results wise it was perfect so that sort of takes care of everything in itself before we dig into sort of performance stats and detailed stuff but as as well as the 100% record just in terms of if we're looking at metrics like XG, it was statistically probably our best month under Bielsa as well. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah, so basically 
for the entire month, our XG was 8.9 and we only gave up just over two and a half for the whole month. So in terms of restricting opponents, we, we really kept pretty much everybody at arm's length. Over the course of a month, which which uh, to the extent that we did, we, we've not really seen before over a five-game period. So you can bring into it the fact we've played a lot of bottom-half teams, but the, the level of consistency over the course of a month in terms of implementing our style of play to gain successful results was, was spot on. And one of the metrics that you like to use is box shots um, created and box shots conceded, and we did very well in that metric this month, right? Yeah, pretty crazy numbers, really. Only seven shots from open play conceded in, in our box this month, which over the course of five games, including two two away games in the space for a few days down south, is pretty impressive. You say seven uh, open play box shots. Do you, do you have to hand the number of um, set-piece box shots that we conceded? Is that is that a comparative number? Um, because obviously a lot of people, a lot of people talk about us conceding from corners and free kicks, etc. Yeah, um, I've I've not got the set piece numbers on me at the moment, but I I do like to usually lead with open play shots because when you watch our games, a lot of the set pieces, even though they are sort of winning headers in our box, a lot of them are sort of you know grazing the top of the head and. Not not real chances, but they do go down a shot, so they they can be quite um, difficult to quantify those ones. So I think the the the, the first question to start with to start digging up um, what's going on here is is maybe a comparison between October and November, because obviously October was a terrible month for us, and November um, was 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 much better. Um, what's the difference between those two months? Was it simply that we were um, suddenly conceding at a at a rate that was much more realistic than we were in in October, or do you think that there has been an uptick in in the actual underlying statistics? You've already suggested that might be the case there, but um, how how big an uptick do you think there's been if there has been one? There has has been a, a bigger uptick, yeah. Like you said, um, I think obviously a huge topic at Leeds is our conversion rates and you know the general underperformance, but I think. What you saw in November was slightly better all-round performances in in terms of controlling the game at both ends. We, we were a bit. I think one one of the questions that we'll get into a bit later is about foreshore, which is a is a subject that revolves a lot around control, especially how we restrict opponents from open play. If if you were going to talk about foreshore, October was probably a month where you thought. This is a guy we're really starting to miss now, but we we sort of clawed that back in November, which I think was also down to the the three three uh, one three formation, which just made us a bit more bit more solid without the ball, having three centre backs, obviously ailing sort of uh, bridge between centre back and right back, but having those three at the back plus Phillips just made us a bit more solid off the ball, which gives us a, a, a better platform to build on going forward too. It would be good to maybe talk about game state as well um, at this juncture. I mean, I think that only really comes into play maybe against QPR, but obviously against Borough, we we scored the goal early on. Um, we actually wildly overperform our XG in that game. Um, but that's mainly because of the game state. We scored quite early on. Um, we were we were controlling the game, and so there wasn't really the need for us to to create maybe as much as we needed to. 
Um, I wonder whether or not you think there is, you already mentioned the fact that, you know, these teams are all bottom half, well, almost, yeah, they all are bottom half, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Um, of, of the, of the table. And obviously those bottom half of the table teams are going to come. So someone like QPR, Blackburn and uh, Burrow all coming to, to Elland Road are going to probably play quite reactively, quite pragmatically, quite defensively. Um, and obviously Luton as well and Blackburn, uh, 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 um, sorry, Luton and Reading are not going to be particularly, um, positive about their chances of coming, coming away with a, a win even at home against Leeds. So, do you think that's, you've mentioned that these teams are, are probably the, some of the worst opponents that we're going to face, but how, how much of an impact do you think that will have had on the control? I think it will because obviously the, these lower end teams don't have as much attacking firepower that you have to be seriously careful of. Say, for example, when we played West Brom at home, even though we won 1 0, it, it was a very tight game, especially when using stuff like XG and, and we were constantly. Constantly having to be mindful of players like Pereira and Diangana. Uh, we spent, we spent quite a bit of time in the back foot on that game specifically, which you, you've never, you've not seen at all, uh, throughout November. It was just one way traffic. The entire month was basically us dominating everything from open play, having to defend two, three, four corners a game just to get us a favorable result. So yeah, it will be interesting to see December how, how we can follow up a pretty spectacular month yeah I mean I was going to mention December because December is is not a nice month for us we've got a, a lot of games in quick succession against some some big teams and then some of our bogey teams again so um, I guess that'll be the real test of, of whether or not this is a, a sort of sustainable level for us um, I think at this point I'm going to I'm just going to spring a question on you <laughs> that I haven't got on the running order uh, because I think it kind of fits in quite nicely here but um, we did have someone mention the, the 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 contenders for promotion um and obviously we've got quite a bit of we've got quite a bit of data under our sleeves now so i just wondered what your initial thoughts were about the most likely challenges we're going to have at the top of the table this season yeah so you have to use a, a combination of of data plus plus what we can see just from watching these sides if if you go on a metric like xc alone to me, the best three teams in the league right now are Leeds, West Brom and Brentford. But then just below that, you've got a team like Fulham, whose numbers aren't quite as good as Brentford and West Brom. Leeds are sort of in their own tier at the top, uh, data-wise. But with Fulham, even though there's sort of a rung below Brentford and West Brom, when you add in the fact they've just got they've got a player like Mitrovic, they've got Kearney, a lot of ex-Premier League players... Mitrovic alone can can cover a lot of sort of deficiencies in their overall play just from his finishing the the number of chances he gets. I think I don't know if you watched their game against Swansea, uh, but they weren't particularly impressive overall. It was just two goals from Mitrovic changed the entire game for them. It was a defensive error as well, wasn't there for one of them? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, for my money. Leeds, West Brom, quite clearly top two at the moment. But I think Brentford are the most dangerous team coming from below. Just to add, if you look at XG ratio, which is basically, say there are 10 chances in a game and Leeds have seven of them, an XG ratio would be 70%. Um, if you look across the league, um, in terms of XG ratio, Leeds and Brentford are the top two. 
But the thing with Brentford is, while Leeds, Leeds maintain a steady ratio home and away, at home 72%, away 70%, Brentford's is 73% at home and 59% <laughs> away. So That's wild. Yeah. The good thing for Leeds is, is we're able to translate our style of play and dominance home and away, whereas Brentford will will have to fix that away form a little bit if they're going to start climbing and join join the main pack. Why do you think that is? Do you, do you think that's because they come away from home and just they play a little bit more reactively? Yeah, I think so. It's Their defence has been really good home and away, but away from home for some reason they've not been able to to attack quite as fluently. I'm not sure why that is because I, I, looking at their team, I would think they've got really good counter-attacking players to play for away from home but for them it seems to be the, the reverse they they play more freely at home yeah Brentford are a really interesting team aren't they because uh, just even just following them uh, from a distance I mean I'm, I'm fascinated by Brentford anyway and I think a lot of people who are um, interested in in statistical analysis and its use in professional football obviously always have uh, Brentford uh, uh, highlighted um, in their in their minds but it does. It does feel as though they'll, they they their results are, are very very changeable. You'll see them have good results against good sides, and then they'll have two or three in a row, and then they'll lose to someone you just expect them to to beat. Um, I think we should we should also mention Fulham as well because again with with your box stop, uh, box shots um, from open play um, data that you you put out this week, um, very noticeable that one Fulham don't actually create as much, as many box shots as you might expect from from a team like Fulham especially where where they're positioning the table but also they're conceding more than they're creating which is quite worrying uh, so it seems as though Fulham also have have a defensive problem so I think the way that I explain Fulham to people at the moment is that they are they are just relying on elite players for the league and um they will stagger on no doubt and and um will will have results where they 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 score from their two or three chances but i think there's going to be there's going to be results that come along the way where they lose to teams that you think you really should be beating that team uh because you can't just luck your way all, all the time so uh, i think that's why i've not been too worried about fulham um and and have been with 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 west brom um, more so, uh, would you, you would you would you agree with that? Fulham have defensive deficiencies as well. Yeah, they do. Uh, defensively, they're they're pretty average um, league wide. So, I think the recent narrative that Parker's like finally got the act together, and now they're just going to start climbing, um, climbing the table and pushing for top two is is a bit um, bit hasty, but. Um, Yes, I think it's still there's still a lot for Parker to prove, really. I think when they when Fulham get to these these big games against um, fellow top sides, when 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 their individual quality might not be enough to win the game, when they need strong input from the manager and tactics, things like that, um, it'll be interesting to see how they fare. I'm interested. I don't know again if you've got your West Brom XG data to hand. Um, Yep, I've got it. Because uh, I'm, I'm sure I was looking at some. I think it may have been um, Ben Mayhew's X points table, and I, I think it suggested that they were, were were running a little bit high at the moment. But I don't know. I don't know. If you've, you've said that they are clearly um, per XG one of the better teams. So, what sort of data are they running at the minute? 
it's not absolute top end with Leeds. Like I said, Leeds are sort of out on their own in pretty much every every strand of this XG metric, closely followed by Brentford in most. West Brom tend to be the third the third team down, but they're sort of they're not creating a huge deal, and the defense is not is not at a spectacular level. They just tend to be sort of the most dependable team in the league for for uh, consistent numbers. Yeah, and I think they were up there, weren't they, with with box shots conceded with leads. They're they're quite low on on that um, list as well. So so it seems to be that the teams with the better defenses are the ones who are actually crushing this division at the moment. Weirdly enough, yeah. I want to move on to talk about the change in scoring rate um, because obviously I think Josh Hobbs put out uh, a piece on Bamford this week on our medium uh, on our medium page and. Yeah, we've, some, we've something like doubled our um, scoring percentage, our production rates uh, this month compared to last month. So I think we were around 26% last month and we're up around 50% now, which is obviously a, a big turnaround. I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. Do you think that there are any reasons why that's happened or do you think that's just the nature of uh, the way that the game goes? Sometimes sometimes you you run a purple patch and sometimes you don't. There are so many things involved in in shot conversion rate especially it's not always just say say we created a similar quality and number of chances as we did the previous month as say say we start the month with um with a you know a good performance and a confident win Bamford scores it that momentum can just sort of carry over and and we're, we're still running at similar rates throughout the whole season I've I've looked back to last season to compare some XG stuff and we're not we're not creating much more or much more quality chances. It's it's pretty standard across the board. Um, conversion rate is just one of those things that will fluctuate throughout the season, and you just have to. A big part of it is you, you kind of just have to hope that it 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 stays up there in those percentage levels, which it did last month. Um, you see. We beat Borough four nil, um, and it was a really good performance. Not not the best I've ever seen us play under Bielsa. We've, I think we've played better than that before and won by one or two goals at most. So, Derby County game comes into into mind there, doesn't it? The the one we drew one one and we absolutely decimated them oh, for most of the game. And they, yes. they scored that for me. That was one of the best games we played, and we came away with the draw. Yeah, sure. I'm I'm still a bit sick about that one, but um, <laughs> sorry for bringing it. Up. <laughs> yeah. Like for example, we we've won. Obviously, we won four 0 against Borough. Um, those performances aren't aren't entirely the fact that you've you've dominated, you've created four big chances and scored them all. In a game like that, you'll you'll take a few of your big chances, and then you'll get some some random goals like clicks from outside the box. If we can get a random goal like that w- once every two games, then our dominance really will be reflected in the scoreline. Yeah, I also mentioned, I think, um, was it on the Talking Shop podcast this week where, um, a lot of people, what a lot of people don't realize, realize is that, um, actually if you sit really, really deep against teams and you allow them, um, the ability to come into your own box and shoot, even if you've got six or seven people in front of them, you, you're, uh, increasing the likelihood that if you just ping the ball in, it, it, it can ricochet off anyone and go in. And that happened twice in that game as well. So, um, but, uh, 
obviously those were get uh, th- those goals were were um were later on it was quite comfortable at this point um so i i yeah i, I agree with you I, th- I think we 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 underestimate how much just blind chance comes into it with with things like shooting and i know that what we scored for and our xg was what mid 1.5 ish around that around that maybe a bit more like 1.6 um and as as you say that's why i like to talk about game state because you know getting that early goal just took the pressure off in this and there's, there's been so few games where we've scored early on mainly because teams are Sitting deep, looking to frustrate us and holding on for a, maybe a late break and, and a goal. Uh, but game state really does Im- impact a game. If we're, if we're one nil up and cruising, uh, it, it just completely changes the, the nature of that game and, and will change the, the underlying data will reflect that usually as well. Um, so the difference between scoring in the third minute, um, versus, versus Borough versus scoring with three minutes to go as we did against Reading, uh, just means that the game has a completely different complexion. I, I expected Borough to be quite, well, not, not a tough game, but a lot more stodgy than it was. And I, I, I still think that had we not, cons- had we not scored that goal so early on, it, it could well have gone like that if the, if the half sort of starts dragging out and you don't get your, uh, wonder goal from click, like you say, um, and, and, and we get to the half time and it's still nil nil. That, that's looking like a very different sort of game, uh, on our hands, but that's football and that's how it goes. Um, let's move on to some, some listener questions to get through. Um, Dan Holdsworth asks, will we ever play with an actual left-back ever again? You have any thoughts on the left-back position? I think um, I think there's a good chance you'll, you might see Dallas just play as an orthodox full-back against Huddersfield. Depends how Huddersfield's set up. If they if they go 4-2-3-1 and just leave um, whoever plays up front up, up there on their own, then I don't think you'll see the, the back three that we've been using because Bielsa won't want three players hanging around the back looking after one player. Um, they'll probably, they'll seek a different solution. Obviously, Bielsa's always looking for, for player matchups and how the opposition line up. So I don't think he'd want any waste back there, particularly if we're going to have most of the possession. So, but I do kind of like this, um, no left back situation we've had for the last <laughs> month. Uh, I think Harrison playing as sort of a wing back, um, Winger hybrids really suited him actually because it it brought his energy into the game a lot more. I thought mm. it was like when Alioski first went to left left wing back and he wasn't just waiting for the ball on the touchline and and trying to get in behind. He was there was a lot more that he could offer um, in his mm. game rather than just having the ball at his feet and being expected to produce things that wingers do, taking people on, putting balls into the box. So. I think you will see the the no left back uh, system a few more times before the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, I might I might just say something on this. What's been really interesting in the last, obviously, in the last few games, we've um, we've had a, a midfield issue, which has meant that Pablo Hernandez has, has come inside, and we've had Costa and Harrison on the pitch at the same time. Now, obviously, usually when we play, we have we have the system where Harrison plays as an out and out wide winger a classic winger and usually the the wing the fullback on that side plays essentially as a wing back and leaves a massive gap in behind now when we were doing that at the beginning of the season when we had Pablo as a wide player obviously Pablo plays just a little bit deeper and gives a bit more cover on the on, on the right so you don't need your right back to be uh, quite so much of a flying wing back um, but what we were seeing was usually Calvin Phillips dropping into that 
um, left back space just to, uh, give a bit of cover when, when both Harrison and whoever was playing at left back was there. What's been really interesting this month is that because we've had Harrison and Costa playing, we've just had basically two classic wingers on the pitch, which means that, that, uh, option of, of doing the sort of, overload to isolate where you can load up the the, the right hand side um, and then leave everyone leave it fairly spare uh, sparse on the on the left and then try and um, switch the ball so that Harrison is isolated against a fullback or in behind um, you can't do that quite so much with the um, with two out and out uh, wide players so what's been really interesting in the last particularly in the last couple of games we've seen it is that what has, has we've been playing the three three one three we've had Dallas as as a as a as the right wing back in the in the second row of three so you have um we basically had click then phillips and dallas um and then ailing behind him and now what's been happening as you said is that ailing is being pushed forward as a as a flying wing back and dallas has been dropping right across the pitch into the left back area to give a little bit more cover uh there for 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 the left hand side and then click has been pushing forward um and and playing a little little bit more of his 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 role that's something i've never seen um in in a Bielsa team before, and I think that's the reason why that's being done is precisely because uh, we've we've had um, Costa playing as as a wide player. I think that's going to happen again uh, this this week um, because we'll, if we play four one four one, I think Pablo will play as as one of the eights and um, and Costa will play out wide. So yeah, it makes sense then to see to see Dallas at, at left at left back, um, maybe being maybe just giving a little bit more cover and not being needed to do quite so much of the transition work in the middle. Um, yeah. So in terms of Alioski and, and Douglas, then do you, do you see them not really having much more of a future in this team? Is Alioski just going to be what the player that is brought on 20 minutes to go because he injects a bit of pace, uh, gets the ball forward, can terrorize tired, uh, center, center defenders? Yeah. I think Alioski's got, got more of an immediate chance of, of playing than Douglas. Obviously, like you say, Alioski will be used for those, those late game, uh, energy boosts, but, I think I think until there's there's some sort of injury or I don't know, um, but I I can't see him dropping Dallas at the moment. He seems to even if we need somebody to play in central midfield, which Dallas is not a central midfielder. He's he's done a decent job there, but Bielsa will still favour him over I don't know bringing in someone like Shackleton. I think so. Dallas is sort of filling. Filling roles everywhere at the moment. Um, I, I can't see him changing it. Dallas seems to be a real classic Bielsa player in this, in the sense that he is a player who is just tactically disciplined. And when you are Marcelo Bielsa and you're going to play a player who you're going to play as a right wing back in a three-three-one-three, and then tell him to uh, in, in in certain. Uh, uh, phases of the game drop into a left back position. You need to have someone who you know is going to do that right every time, um, and that's quite a unintuitive sort of movement for a footballer to play. Um, and so I think that's one reason why Dallas is is getting played as a utility man because uh, Bielsa just trusts him to do to do what he's told uh, to to have the ability to read the situation and 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 see where he's going to be. So it's it's been really fun seeing. Dallas sort of converted into a, um, into a sort of 
look, he can do everything uh, kind of player, which I think Bielsa last season suggested that Ailing sort of was. Um, and he even said that he would play Ailing in front of a back four. Um, I remember at some point last season, but obviously that's not happening. Um, it's looking like we're going to have Ben White this this weekend. So how do you see that one going? Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a part of me that's really gutted that Phillips can't play and then a small part that's extremely excited to see Ben White in that position. There's going to be a lot of scouts at that game, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll just be ridiculous at this point if he if he plays and you know gives gives an eight out of ten performance doing midfield things. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how much he costs now, but if if he does that on Saturday, then add an extra fifteen yeah. million on. <laughs> I'm just excited about our fan base thinking that there's yet another midfielder who's better than uh, Adam Forshaw in our <laughs> squad. <laughs> if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Right, let's let's move on. A question from Jamie Sanderson, who wants us to talk a little bit about the goalkeeper situation. Um, obviously, there's there's nothing really to say about Kiko. We're still waiting to see what's going to happen in his, uh, in his trial. But in the event that he um, is banned, um, it's been suggested that Ilan Meslier is going to is going to be played in his place. Uh, a player that Phil Hay, I think, in the Phil Hay show this week described as largely unproven, which I thought was a bit harsh considering he played a full season in Ligue 2 in France. Um, obviously, I'm not expecting anyone of our listeners to have watched a full season of Ligue 2 in France, but um, I think he's got way more experience than, uh, for example, Bailey Peacock Farrell had when we were happy to play him. So. What are your general thoughts on the goalkeeping position? Is it uh, are we at a point where our goalkeeper is is conceding so few good chances that actually it doesn't matter so much, or are you, are you feeling a little bit nervous about Meslier coming in? I would be pretty nervous if if Garcia does get um, you know banned for this. Um, I was actually looking at some some expected goals for for keeper stuff this week, and I, I think we can all we can all say that Garcia has been good this season, but the numbers would suggest he's he's probably been the best keeper in the league in terms of shot stopping. Opta's expected goals on target model 
currently has him preventing 4.8 goals this season, uh, which which I think is the most in the league. Um, it, it's between him and uh, Bryce Sambrook Forrest, uh, the top two. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure which one was top, but basically both of them have been the best two shot stoppers in the league this season. Could you just explain how a, a post-shot XG model works, just for listeners who might not know? Yeah, so basically this this metric takes every shot on target that Casillas faced this season um, and assigns a value to to every one of those shots based on distance from goal, players in between the shot, um, all, all types of things, and basically just puts a number on it which we then compare against the, the actual number of goals he's conceded. Um, and that's reflected really well for Casilla uh, this season to, to have prevented almost, almost five goals from the shots he's faced is, is a really good uh, number at this point. Yeah. Cause presumably he's faced far fewer shots than the majority of goalkeepers. So I, I would usually expect a keeper who had a high figure in that, in that sort of metric to have been a player at a club, which is leeching chances. No. Yeah, he's faced 51 shots on target throughout the season, which is a bit more than I expected. How does that compare to other keepers? I don't have that info up right now, but obviously it is, is quite a bit bit less than uh, most of the keepers, especially the, the top keepers uh, at the end of the top end of the championship, like Johnston. Brentford are similar to us in terms of giving up a real lack of uh, opposition shots. Right. So, so is is Kiko facing the fewest shots then in in the league? Of keepers to have been ever present, yeah, yeah, it will be, which is is kind of impressive. Like you said, that he's he's been able to prevent so many goals um, on quite quite a limited uh, workload. Yeah, and obviously he's not simply being played as a shot stopper. He's being played as a as a ball mover as well, and um, he's been absolutely fantastic at that in the last uh, month or so. Um, and he's also ironed out from what I could see a lot of the sort of worried the more worrisome aspects of his game which is uh, coming out and, and gathering the ball so it's been it's been weird just having not, nothing to worry about really I think the closest we got to a heart-stopping moment was when he when he turned a player in the in the Borough was it the Borough game it might have been yeah I think yeah, it was. yeah. <laughs> where he just where he just turned a player who was right in front of goal but yeah um yeah I I, I mean I'm I'm of this, I'm of this opinion as well that that losing Kike will be would be uh, bad for us. I'm not sure. I think that that Meslier will be as terrible as as people seem to think he will. But yeah, it's a lot of pressure to put a young keeper into, um, particularly in a run up to a, a busy spell, as, as you say. So uh, it will be interesting to see what the club do, whether or not they decide to bring someone else in. Uh, in in the winter period, but we'll we'll have to see how that um, pans out. Right, uh, a, a question from um, Sahil D. Uh, he's got a question about Enketia. Who can you see us getting in? I think that's that's not for us to say really. I think if we do get anyone in, we will end up getting someone on loan from a Premier League side. I don't see us buying anyone from the division, partly because it will be expensive, partly because I don't think anyone will sell. Um, and the, yeah, other than that, I, I can't see us getting paying Premier League prices, and I, I can't really see us dipping into a an outside market and, and trying to get value there. So I think it's just a case of uh, if Eddie stays, um, 
we're, we're obviously fine. But if if Eddie goes, then we'll try and replace him with a sort of like for like from a from a Premier League side. Phil Hay mentioned Rianne Brewster yesterday, which I don't know how much truth there is in that. Just seems to me. Um, just sort of listing players who are similar to Eddie and Ketia and saying maybe we'll go for them, but maybe there's something in that. Uh, but I think he's got he's got a more interesting question, which is hypothetically, if you could st- if we could strengthen one position in January, um, would you opt for a third choice centre back or a number ten? I'm going to hand out that over to you. <laughs> oh, um... I think the answer to this question is clearly like a defensive midfielder, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but there we go. We'll stick with the question itself. Yeah. I think un- under Bielsa, unless unless there's a real glaring weakness, or, or not weakness, but a, a place where we could make a significant upgrade, like we tried to do with Daniel James last season. Looking at our squad now, I, I just I don't think Bielsa would uh, would even really be open to to bringing in a player uh, on a permanent deal. Uh, I just think the the adaptation period for a player who joins Leeds under Bielsa is just is so long that any any real investment in a player in January, unless by that time it, it's clear that we're going to be in the Premier League and we'll start looking towards next season, I, I don't think it's it's sort of worth the squeeze in the Bielsa. Um, anybody who comes in would, at best for me, be, be an impact player off the bench. So in that sense, it would it'd be a winger or a number 10. I think I agree with that. Um, I can't see... Bielsa being happy to bring in a new centre back at this point of the season, and I guess, like you say, you know, if you if we're talking about a number ten, what most people mean by a number ten, and this is an argument I have a lot with people, but what people usually mean by a number ten is someone who's sort of creative and given a a bit of a license to just be free. Um, in which case, if that's what you mean by that, one, I don't know if Bielsa would ever bring that kind of player in, particularly or certainly, certainly not at this level. But two. Yeah, obviously you would choose that player because what you're saying is that they they're given a level of freedom that means as long as the system sort of functions around them, then then they would be okay to to operate. But yeah, I think I think yeah, look look, we're not going to bring anyone in. I don't think anyone's under that illusion um, because it's good to talk about it's good to talk about Bielsa this Bielsa team from for over two seasons in the first season we played 4-1-4-1 which moved into a situational 3-3-1-3 in possession unless we were playing against teams that had a had played a front two pretty much in which case we sort of played a hybrid version of that this season we've played loads of different formations and the reason for that is because Bielsa trusts the players to to now do the sort of tactical things that he wants them to do now, if you bring in a player midway through this season, you can't expect them to just fall into that system and and e- even take six six weeks and 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 get up to speed. We're still seeing uh, Helder Costa getting up to speed with the with with this system four months into the season. So, I think it's it's important to remember that that the reason why most good managers don't bring in players in in the mid mid season is because they have a system and they know that you need to have a pre-season with a player in order to inculcate them into that system you can't really do the teaching during the season so i think that's that would be my final position on that and i'm sure you probably agree yep we've got a question from the aptly named meh who said did we peak against borough uh, you've already touched on this in saying that actually borough wasn't quite so good as a lot of people think but um what would you what would you say in answer to that I don't, um no, I don't think we did. Like I said, we have we have played better in in multiple games under Bielsa than we did against them. I, th- I think what happened against Borough is we played our usual game, seventy percent possession. 
we're having th- three three of every four chances in the game. Um, and, and then you just said in the fact that Borough looked like a team who, who didn't know what their game plan was, whether they were trying to get on the front foot or committing to the back foot. They were just sort of caught in between. And then after the second goal goes in, it's it's not getting any better for them uh, from there. Um, yeah, I think it was just a combination of Leeds doing what they've trained to do under Bielsa from day one to a good level, plus the combination of a, a low-confidence team who don't really have any direction at the moment. It's quite funny. I mean, even just watching quite a bit of Premier League football this week, given that it's been on, I, I just find so much of the mainstream takes on, on football to be so results-based that it's laughable. Um so you, you have you have Mourinho Spurs winning th- four three games and everything's great and then they lose the the fourth game against United and suddenly everything's terrible and I think we have a tendency to do that as fans as well and and just think about the results and think you know everything that we can say usefully about the game is based on the fact that we've won four nil or lost four nil or whatever and I just don't think that's the case. Um, so that would be my that would be my uh, response as well you know we we always say trust the process on this on this channel it's nice when the process <clears throat> the process rewards us with a a nice 4-0 four, four win but that could easily have been a 2-1 win uh, had had things gone gone differently so um Borough maybe maybe one of the worst teams that we played against but i don't think noticeably worse than some of the teams we played another thing i just think um now we've we've had this good run obviously f- five wins in a row which is the absolute product of of what Bielsa has done and the way we play. Whereas you, you saw the month before where we're trying to implement the same style on games and go about in the same way. Obviously with a slightly different system in, in a few, but you had fans saying, oh, I wish, I wish we could just be a, a 55% possession team and we can up, <laughs> up our conversion rate. We'll... We'll we'll take a bit off there and add a bit on here, but <laughs> you know, in a year's time or whenever, whenever this this Bielsa run ends, we, we will absolutely long for the days that we're watching now. I totally agree with that. I think one of the things I think really is really interesting is that a lot of people don't realise how much they, the way that we play now is defined by the fact that teams sit sit deeper, a bit more pragmatically against us. Um, and there's like there's not much you can do about that if a team is going to sit deep and you're going to end up controlling more and more possession, you, you kind of have to resign yourself to the fact that it's a lot of your game is going to be about trying to break teams down. And that's just the way things things are. I think that the, the reason why things are the way they are is because this is just, this is just a generationally good championship side that teams just recognize this is a generationally good championship size. And so side, and so we're just going to play for a draw. And, and, and if we get a draw, then maybe snatch a win, then. We've really, we've really uh, got more than we deserve. So, I th- it's 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 easy to think that that, like you say, that you can chop off a bit on one part and just move it onto the other. But where we playing with fifty five percent possession, um, we'd be giving up a lot more possession. We'd be giving up a lot more chances. We'd be having fewer chances of our own. And so, uh, these things sort of go around, come around. I'm quite, I'm with you. I'm pretty. I'm pretty uh, happy with with being able to watch this Leeds team week in week out, and even just even watching lower league, uh, lower table Premier League sides play um, recently. I just kind of think, you know, we 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 are more tactically astute than some of these sides. Um, watching some of the other Championship games, you know, it, it does just become sort of pinball. Maybe that's what people want. Maybe people want a bit more of that. But um, I think 
I think this is really as good a, this is as good a uh, style of football that you'll see in the championship pretty much I think yeah exactly under Bielsa we have we basically have the ability to 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 craft the state of the game to how how we how we have trained and how how we want to the game to go which is is like such a unique gift at this level right final question uh, from Paul Thomas on Harrison do we think Harrison's improvement will be sustained I guess my first question to you following that would be do you think there has been an improvement in Harrison um, and and yeah then how would you answer that question if, if you think there has I think there has definitely been an improvement yeah if if you look at obviously we don't just look at numbers alone but if, if you were to have a glance at them um, you'll see that already he's been involved in more goals this season than he was in the whole of last season so I think there's definitely a case of increased productivity. Even even when you watch him sometimes, you still see flashes of, of the player who struggled with low confidence and sort of uh, making real contributions last season, especially early on. But I think um, looks maybe a bit, a bit deceiving in that aspect because his productivity has definitely gone up this season. And I just think if you compared him to this stage of last season, I think you'd, you'd almost certainly looking at a better player now, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see what he can aim for in terms of goals and assists because he's he scored four and assisted four at this point. Could, could he perhaps try and go for a ten and ten? How, how would that transform Leeds' promotion push if if we could have Harrison chipping in fifteen to twenty goals this season compared to what he did last season? which was six. Yeah, and I think we've we've talked as well about Bamford. One of part of the problem with Bamford's productivity is that players like Jack Harrison aren't scoring and lo and behold we've had a season uh, a month where Jack Harrison has scored a lot as well. Uh, and that's had an I- I- impressive um impact on 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 the month we've had. So uh, as to the as to, as to the sustenance of that improvement, do you think do you think, how much of this do you think is down to psychology? I think I know I know psychology is always a bit of a uh, of an alarm bells word when it comes to analytics because how you can't quantify that sort of thing and it just sort of becomes anecdotal very quickly. But it, it does seem to me that that what we're seeing with with Harrison is that we know that he's we, everyone knows that he's good in moments uh, and I think what's happening is the frequency of those moments is going up and I think psychology might be a good way of explaining how that that sort of phenomenon might occur. Yeah, I, I do think psychology is a really big, big part of it for Harrison specifically. Having been going to Ellen Roads for ten, 10 plus years, you know what it's like for players to play at Ellen Road. Even if you're part of the fan base that are inflicting these high demands and ma- making it a real pressure environment, you know it is a real struggle for some players when they when they come to Ellen Road and play for Leeds. I think. Especially last season, you could you could see it really weigh on him at times. Even even as a a player trained in Bielsa's ways, and he was a really good athlete, you, you could see that at times it it was almost like the adrenaline and the emotion of playing for Leeds took it out of him a bit, and you could see him, you know, str- struggling physically at a few points just because I think he was he was so wound up and maybe having a poor game, fans getting on his back. I think Harrison's one of the most one of the players that have played for Leeds who it's most noticeable when he is struggling um, sort of with the platform. But I think it is something he is getting better at uh, all the time. 
Well, that brings us to the end of, of this show. So all that remains for me to do is to say thank you to Jamie. Jamie, you're available on Twitter at Jamie M. Kemp. And a lot of the stuff that you put out stats-wise goes up on at L-U-F-C blog underscore. Is that right? Yep. Obviously, we have a Substack newsletter, which is available at allstatsaren'twe.substack.com. Uh, we get the tactics previews out mainly on there, but we do send other stuff out when it needs to be. Today is Friday. That means there's a Love Sport radio show on tonight. We're on live on air between 8 and 9 p.m. Do listen in. That's available online and also is available as a podcast after the fact. So it goes up almost immediately after the show on our rss feed so if you want to listen back to those uh, episodes you can do so by searching for all stats aren't we in your podcast aggregation that should come up on top of that there's the medium blog as well uh, josh hobbs puts out a piece every week at the moment and um, just taking a little look at one aspect of the team his piece this week as we've mentioned is on patrick bamford it's worth reading and then finally if you like what we do and you want to help us out then we have a patreon page uh, which you can find by searching for all stats on we patreon that money goes towards our y scout account basically so that we can do watch games back um we can use their stats and and we can look at clips as well so if you help us out with that then you're helping us produce better content as i've said this is the end of this month's episode thank you jamie for for coming on and hope you enjoy december no problem cheers man Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 